This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Getting the vaccine rollout back on track. Hospitalizations and deaths that accrue now should be considered vaccine preventable. And new research showing one shot should be enough to protect you for months. A major spike in anti-Asian hate crime. It was over 700% increase this whole year. The push for stiffer penalties for offenders. And another coyote attack in Vancouver's Crown Jewel. Evident at that point that I'd been bit and I yelled and screamed at it. A warning not to run through Stanley Park. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with some breaking news. The arrest of a suspect in a stranger attack that's rattled residents of Vancouver's West End. The attack happened last Saturday. Vancouver police released surveillance video of a man who attacked a 24-year-old woman as she walked home through Maxine Lane between Butte and Thurlow Streets. The victim was grabbed from behind and tackled to the ground. The man ran off when she started to scream. Police now say a 57-year-old man was arrested early this morning and investigators will be recommending charges to Crown Council. He has been released until his next court appearance. Now to BC's mass COVID-19 vaccination program, which is supposed to get started in just a couple of weeks based on age. But the details of the province's plan have still not been made public. And as Richard Zussman reports, that delay is causing a lot of concern. This week was supposed to be about notifying those 80 years of age and older how they'll be receiving their COVID-19 vaccine. Instead, they're still waiting. We don't know the exact date, and that's the challenge. I mean, I, I want to be as open about this as possible. The province won't be releasing the details until the end of next week, putting extra pressure on a vaccine distribution system that is supposed to start mass vaccinating at the start of March. We're ready to go. We don't have vaccines. If you have an 80-year-old in your family, you are sitting waiting and you are concerned because there is no plan. Federal government's responsible for procuring the vaccine and the shortages have been well documented. The 90 years of age and older group is highest priority. There are nearly 50,000 of them. Many have been vaccinated in care homes. The goal now is to start in early March for them. Then 80 to 89. It's larger, nearly 190,000 people starting at some point in March. And then the 70 plus group, more than 430,000 of them expected to be prioritized by birth year and starting in April. We are reaching out through our health authorities to communities across British Columbia to put in place the infrastructure to meet the expectations of the public. And I'm confident, should supply arrive, that we'll be able to meet those expectations. Where the mass vaccinations will take place, still a challenge. Pharmacists are hoping that pharmacies across BC will be part of the province's plan. They should consider uh, utilizing community pharmacists to uh, increase uh, the number of vaccines that be, can be given in the shortest time possible, perhaps even in parallel with, you know, with those mass clinics. 
The province slowly securing other locations, including a local hockey arena to vaccinate in Langford on southern Vancouver Island. Next week, details will come on a new phone line and website for people to get immunization details. We've been facing a global pandemic for over a year now. And, you know, uh, British Columbians expect some answers. Those over the age of 80 will not have to register. They'll be contacted directly. But for the next phase, those in their 70s, they'll have to pre-register. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And new research has led to a discovery that could drastically alter Canada's vaccine rollout plans in a good way. Two Canadian doctors, including one from the B.C. CDC, say their data shows just a single dose of the two-shot Pfizer vaccine can be 92% effective against COVID-19. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the research is getting a lot of attention from federal and provincial health authorities. When Pfizer-BioNTech was first approved for use, it was supposed to be two shots given at least 21 days apart. With limited supply, BC officials pushed that to 35, even as long as 42 days. Now, BC's top epidemiologist says in order to save lives, that second dose should be pushed back much further. We actually prefer longer intervals between the first and the second dose. The only time we would ever, ever consider going uh, shorter intervals would be if we weren't satisfied that the first dose was giving good protection. In a letter published in the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Skoronsky points to the data from the original Phase 3 trial, which shows the first dose of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine providing 54% protection one week after given. It rises to 68%, and then two weeks out, it's 92% effective. The second dose only boosts immunity by a small fraction. Real-world data from Quebec and B.C. suggests a slightly lower efficacy of 80% two weeks out. Federal health officials say the evidence is compelling. All that information is being looked at very carefully. Those deliberations and discussions are, are, are very live and ongoing right now. The changing information about the vaccine might seem confusing. But researchers say this is a normal part of the process. Once you've established good protection with your dose of vaccine, protection doesn't fall off a cliff. It doesn't just suddenly nosedive to nothing, right? It's a gradual waning over months and maybe even years. While the manufacturer insists the vaccine should still be used as described on label, according to epidemiologists, there's no reason to follow the pharmaceutical company's directives. Health Canada will continue to study the dosing regime, suggesting it is up to provinces to best distribute what continues to be a scarce resource. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, let's take a look at today's numbers. We have 617 new cases, bringing BC's total to 75,327. Sadly, four more people have died, and that means we've now lost 1,321 people to complications of the virus. 224 people are in hospital, 60 of them in the ICU. 69,602 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,348 active cases and 7,440 people in self-isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry for more now. What's behind that jump in new case numbers, Keith? 
Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people were quite startled to see that number. We've been in the 400s for a month now, and suddenly we're at 617. Here's what happened. Uh, there has been a, a bit of a, a surge, but also a bunch of cases that showed up in Northern Health today should have showed, been counted as yesterday's count. They came in late, so they weren't recorded yesterday, even though they were technically part of yesterday's total. So bottom line, yesterday should have been a bit higher. Today should have been a bit lower, likely in the 500s. But the again, another bottom line is we've had more than 1,000 cases over two days. That's quite more than what we've been experiencing. We should have been at about 800. We've got 1,000. So there's a concern of a, a bit of a surge in Northern Health and also this continuing increase now in Fraser Health, particularly in the Tri-Cities. So obviously public health mm. officials keeping an eye on this. And keep in mind, we're 10 days after the Super Bowl. Maybe these are linked to Super Bowl parties. We don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll get to ask that question of Dr. Henry tomorrow. Uh, and vaccinations really can't come soon enough when we hear numbers mm -hmm. like that. Where is BC on that front? Yeah, well, the numbers are starting to get a little higher and become impressive. We're going to be posting these vaccination numbers regularly because I think there's a lot of interest in it. So take a look at, as of today, uh, more than 150,000 people have received their first dose of vaccine. Most of that's Pfizer, some of it's Moderna. In terms of a second dose, almost 30,000 people have received their second doses. That's where a lot of uh, vaccines going right now is for second doses. That gives us a total of 180,691 people have received one dose or two. So that number, again, will inevitably climb very rapidly in the days ahead as literally hundreds of thousands of uh, doses are going to be arriving here. Can't wait to see those numbers go up. All right. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, for sure. All right. Premier John Horgan says his government is working on new hate crimes legislation. New data from the Vancouver Police Department shows a more than 700 percent spike in anti-Asian crimes last year alone. Paul Johnson reports. East Asians have been in British Columbia since we became a province. They've suffered racism for that long, and sadly, the trend has worsened. We noticed a spike in um, anti-Asian hate crimes against those of East Asian descent. Data released from the Vancouver Police Department shows that reports of race-based crime against people of East Asian descent went up last year by a staggering 717% mirroring almost exactly trends seen in other major North American cities, where surveillance video has offered a heartbreaking montage of just how cruel some of us still are. This elderly man died from his injuries after being knocked down. If you're going to turn against people because of the color of your skin, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Reacting to the new numbers Thursday, Premier Horgan said his government is moving forward with new anti-racism legislation and is communicating with local authorities about the need to prosecute hate crimes where possible under existing laws. Not only is this morally appalling, it's also phenomenally ignorant. Over the course of the pandemic, we've seen that communities with high proportions of Canadians of Asian descent have actually done significantly better in terms of keeping the virus at bay. With COVID, it's uh, really exacerbated the, the situation significantly. Groups representing Canadians of East Asian descent say the true picture is most likely worse and that the numbers available so far are probably just the tip of the iceberg. For a community where many began mask wearing and social distancing long before the government ordered them to, some thanks they've been given. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. 
Washington State Governor Jay Inslee has announced Canada has agreed to exempt American residents living in Point Roberts from Canada's tougher land crossing restrictions. The exemption does not apply to Canadians who may want to go to Point Roberts, but it does allow American residents to avoid having to take a COVID test within 72 hours of crossing the border. Beyond that, the exemption really means nothing for Canadians and only a slight reprieve for Point Roberts residents. It's still closed, really. I mean, there's no, there's no free travel. There's no uh, crossing at your will. I mean, everything has to be done uh, what they consider essentially. You can't just travel at your own desire. Uh, you have to have a reason or you have to have a place that you're going to. You're not allowed to, to make any stops. You, you can't go to Tim Hortons and get a coffee or something. You need to, uh, to travel on through. Uh, they have a way to track that. I mean, they you know they time you. They know roughly what it should take at you know 55 miles an hour or whatever how long it should take you. And um, so if you're delayed for some reason, um, you're you know you're asked what what happened. Vaccinations are set to start tomorrow in Point Roberts, but no one there expects life to return to normal anytime before probably September. All right, you may have noticed the Variety ticker at the bottom of your TV screens. For 55 years, Global BC and Variety have been broadcasting the annual show of Hearts Telethon. Now this year, things will look a little different, like everything else really, which is why we are promoting the show of hearts for the next three days here on Global. Kids with special needs require your help now more than ever. And thanks to Lowe's Canada, if you call in during the news hour tonight, your donations will be doubled up to $50,000. So call in now, it's the best time. 310KIDS is the number, or go online to variety.bc.ca and later in the show, we will introduce you to four-year-old Steen. Great story about him and how your donations have helped make his life a lot better. All right, right now, it was a wellness check that went completely sideways. Two Vancouver police officers attended to check on the welfare of a woman when her husband prevented them from coming into the home. He was injured in the fight that ensued and launched a complaint against the officers. The ruling from the adjudicator is next on the News Hour. Catch on confirmed. Perseverance pays off the successful touchdown of a new probe to learn more about Mars. That's coming up on the News Hour. And ravenous coyotes chasing runners through Stanley Park. Why you don't want to fall behind your group from a guy who knows later. Right now, though, one man is dead and another is in custody after a disagreement escalated into a fight at a home in Panorama Ridge. Yeah, the victim was found critically injured outside the home last night. He succumbed to his injuries at the scene. Homicide investigators say a suspect was arrested this morning. He was found barefoot on the property of a neighboring home. The violence has alarmed residents of the usually quiet neighborhood. My bedroom went over there. I saw everything. Well, I just got a phone call from my brother saying uh, there's basically like a body that was lying in like the driveway of her neighbor's house, and he was getting CPR for about 45 minutes. Police say the family living in the house were not known to them. Two Vancouver police officers, one of whom is no longer with the department, have been found to have been reckless in their use of force during a 2016 call-out. That's right. The incident began when the officers responded to a wellness check at a home, which quickly turned into a brawl with the family inside. 
John Waugh has the details and a warning. Some of the images in this story are disturbing. This was the result of a wellness check that went horribly wrong. Now a ruling that finds the two responding Vancouver police officers were reckless in their use of force while attending the call. They committed crime to me and my family. Vladimir Chaikun demanding accountability through the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner. The focus, how a March 2016 call to police by a neighbor, alleging he had slapped his wife and requesting they check on her well-being, turned into a violent altercation that ended up with Chaikun, his wife and son, all under arrest. They acting very violently. They confusing everyone in the house. Despite the argument by Constable Eric Ludeman that Chaikun tried to close the door on police, without clear signs someone was in imminent danger, adjudicator Carol Baird-Ellen ruled the entry in all its circumstances was clearly unlawful, as was the detention. They trying to come in without any explanation to me. The reckless use of force by Ludeman could have been avoided. The adjudicator agreeing more could have been done to de-escalate the situation stating the actions of Constable Ludeman are indicative of a cavalier willingness to intervene physically as a shortcut for other reasonably available investigative options. Even Chai Kuhn's level of resistance was deemed reasonable under the circumstances. Baird Ellen adding, all of his actions were consistent with terror in an attempt to resist the considerable force being applied to him. Trying to kill, using all the force... As for Constable Neil Logan, any action against Chai Kuhn was cleared by his duty to help a partner in a physical struggle. But the force he used to keep Chai Kuhn's wife Natalia and son Yuri at bay was reckless. I'm empty. I have no strength to live. Submissions will now be made to determine the penalties connected to this ruling. Chai Kuhn says neither man should wear a badge ever again. Logan already no longer with Vancouver police, under investigation for unrelated charges. John Hua, Global News. And still ahead, the controversial practice of street checks by VPD. It's a person with a gun in uniform asking you questions. Why some advocacy groups say they should be abolished and police say they're crucial. And counting down to the Variety Show of Hearts telethon and how your donations are helping this young boy and his mom get a better night's sleep. It's still busy for Highway 1 eastbound as you make your way out of Burnaby and into Coquitlam, but you're steady both ways across the Portman Bridge deck for Highway 1 this afternoon. Kermac Collision Autoglass has been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. In Global 1 above Highway 1, I'm Amber Belzer. Vancouver police say some of their members have tested positive for COVID-19 and dozens are in self-isolation. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, the department insists their operations are not being negatively impacted. Vancouver Police Department employees are among the city's essential service workers, but now a number of them are not working due to COVID. Well, currently we have five confirmed COVID cases within the VPD. As a result of that, we've done extensive contact tracing. We've identified a number of people who could have potentially come in contact with these confirmed cases. And, and we, as a result of that, we have 27 people who are now self-isolating. The cases are linked to three separate VPD locations, including the department's building on Gravely Street. Despite having so many people off the job, whether because they've tested positive 
or because they're self-isolating, the VPD says services are not being impacted. WorkSafe BC says it's aware of the positive cases and is inspecting. This as police maintain all employees are following strict COVID safety protocols. That includes uh, mask wearing, glove wearing, hand sanitizer, um, ensuring appropriate physical distancing both inside and outside of buildings. So we've taken every precaution. Since the pandemic started, Vancouver police say they have had a total of 29 positive cases in their organization, which has more than 1,300 employees. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A coalition of advocacy groups is once again calling on Vancouver police to end the controversial practice of street checks. They're down 90% since new guidelines were adopted. But as Nadia Stewart reports, some argue the VPD's own data shows the checks are still discriminatory. That street checks are legal, that they're not banned anywhere else in Canada and that they play an important role in public safety. Those are the three themes made clear in the Vancouver Police Board's first ever audit of VPD street check data, released Thursday amidst continued calls to end the controversial practice. The report shows between January 15th and December 31st, 2020, there were 261 street check records submitted, but the VPD says 186 were not actually street checks. Rather, they'd be classified as other types of interactions, requiring a police report. In the end, only 75 met the criteria of a street check. Vancouver Police Chief Adam Palmer also defending the VPD's response to wellness checks and other calls advocates say other agencies should be handling. We can't just ignore something when we see it. So if we somebody, see somebody lying out of the wintertime in the snow and they're freezing to death, we're not just going to drive by it and call somebody else to attend. We're going to stop and attend to that person. And that other agency that we call to assist uh, nine times out of ten will be the ambulance service. But using data from the report, community advocates say black people constituted 5.9% of all street checks, though they make up only 1% of the city's population. Indigenous people were 2.2% of the population in Vancouver, but constituted 15% of all street checks. There's no legal basis uh, to continue with street checks. There's no common law that supports it. It's really most unfortunate. And uh, as you know, our relationship is strained. So this doesn't build trust. The BC Civil Liberties Association says they want nothing less than an outright ban. That it's not about, you know, whether there's 200 street checks or 20,000 street checks. The fact is that street checks are illegal. They are not authorized by law either by the courts or by statute. The board says it is extending an invitation to those groups critical of the audit, even as both sides couldn't be farther apart. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Just ahead, don't be slow if you're running through Stanley Park. I was the last one of the pack and maybe it thought I was an easy prey. A runner licking his wounds after being bitten by a coyote. And taking a gamble on the Commonwealth Games, the man who wants to launch a B.C. bid. In Delta, traffic is steady on Highway 99, busy southbound headed towards South Surrey. And we've got a broken down truck at the 80th Street exit off of the 99 in Delta. Kermac Collision Autoglass provides no-cost windshield chip repairs for your with your insurance coverage. And Kermac donates 100% of the income from chip repairs through Kermac Cares for Kids. In Global One, above Highway 99 at 80th Street, I'm Amber Belzer.
A surprise bid has been launched to bring the 2026 Commonwealth Games to Victoria, Vancouver and Richmond. That's four years after a bid for the 2022 Games never got out of the starting blocks. Kylie Stanton explains why the man behind the campaign thinks he has a better chance this time around. 1994 and all eyes were on Victoria as the city played host to the Commonwealth Games. Now, nearly three decades later, the attention is still tough to shake. It's appropriate again to look at it. Now, Black is part of a committee pitching a bid for the 2026 Commonwealth Games, calling it a win-win for British Columbia as the province works to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. Here we have something unique that could get us billions of people watching us. A $1 billion budget is being proposed, money to be provided by the federal and provincial governments, as well as streaming advertising. Roughly half of that will be spent on capital costs. 2,000 new apartments will be built to house the 8,000 athletes, along with a Commonwealth pool, a European-sized ice arena, field houses, a cycling track, and a rowing facility, to name a few. We believe! We believe! The plan comes on the heels of the collapse of Victoria's 2022 bid. The NDP government pulling out, saying there were too many unknowns surrounding the costs and risks of hosting such a massive event. But this time around... The province stands ready to uh, entertain any discussions communities have about increasing participation, uh, more sport, uh, inviting the world to come back to British Columbia when it's safe to do so. Prior to the pandemic, BC tourism generated $22 billion a year. Now it's virtually nothing. The Games is expected to help bring that back, and then some for years to come. These Games would be fantastic to get Victoria back on the map. I think it would be a great stimulus for the economy. Let's get people back into the city, absolutely. But it's a tough sell for some who say given the current circumstances, there are more pressing priorities. Everything from water to food security. But Black calls it an investment, spending money to make money. We're going to help bring back the economy this way. That's why we've got to do this, and we've got to do it now. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. The Conservation Officer Service is advising people to avoid running through Stanley Park right now due to a growing number of coyote attacks. Brandon Kirk was running intervals along the seawall southeast of the Lionsgate Bridge just past the four-kilometer mark at around seven last night. He got separated from his group of fellow joggers, and that's when a coyote bit him on his right calf. He was treated and hospital for that injury. A search was launched, but no coyote was found. Conservation officers are currently patrolling the area. The CO service says this is the 12th coyote attack in the park in just the last two months. I feel like a nature show where I was the last one of the pack and maybe it thought I was an easy prey. I mean, if it's coming all the way to the seawall, I don't think their dens are there. They're in the park, so they're getting more brazen, and it's, uh, it's a danger to humans, and now it's unfortunate it's going to be a danger to them. Well, I, I yelled at it, and I may have used some curse words to get rid of it, and it didn't cower for me at all. We really wish we could do more to protect the runners, but uh, at this point, I'm sorry to say that it's just not safe to run in Stanley Park. We have multiple coyotes that have this behavior. And uh, we're working hard with uh, stakeholders, wildlife biologists, to try to understand the contributing factors and uh, find some solution uh, in the short term here. 
The COS says the attacks likely mean the animals are being fed. And they're reminding everyone it is illegal to feed dangerous wildlife such as coyotes. As we approach the Variety Show of Hearts telethon on Saturday, a reminder that sick children and their families sometimes have to wait years for an accurate diagnosis. That's years of hospital visits, tests and medications. And for one young boy named Steen, it has taken constant advocacy by his mom and, uh, and some help from Variety to bring him some comfort. Nitu Garcha has more. Steen, can you wake up for me? A terrifying moment for a parent. Your child surrounded by doctors trying to wake him from an unresponsive episode or absent seizure. For Steen, this is only one small chapter in a young life defined by his complex medical history. At four years old, Steen has been in and out of specialist appointments and hospital studies as his mother does whatever she can to help him cope with his complicated conditions. Steen takes a lot of meds for a little guy. I have found that since he has been dosing down on Velcroc acid, his sleep has been really affected. So has his behavior during the day. But I am going to persevere. Steen suffers from sleep disorders and sleep apnea, which make getting through the night impossible for mom, who has tried just about everything to help her young son manage his bedtime. I want both ones. Okay. No, you're not having both at the same time. I you're... want one. Yes, one. Good night. One of the solutions for Steen, a special enclosure bed funded by Variety to help keep him and his family safe at night. But with his sleep disorder, he is awake um, frequently throughout the night. And with those um, times that he awake, awakens, um, he kicks and he hits and he moves his body a lot. And he needed to have somewhere where he could be contained, where he could be safe. But these beds are expensive, especially for a single mother with two children, both of whom have special needs. That's where Variety steps in. Variety has made sure that Steen's mom had funding for the enclosure bed, providing her with the security and comfort she so desperately needs. This is really giving me much more rest, which is a huge improvement to where I was at um, a couple months ago. Steen has a long road ahead of him and Variety will be there every step of the way through all of the daily challenges that he and his family face as they continue to try and solve the complex puzzle of Steen's special needs. You love you, Mom. I love you, Steen. How cute is he? And be sure to tune in Saturday for the Show of Hearts Telethon, you will get to see the very real day-to-day -day struggles of many children like Steen. Families who rely on Variety for therapies, mobility aids, and other comforts. So please support Variety and call 310KIDS. And remember, all donations during the news hour are being matched by Lowe's Canada, up to $50,000. And thank you very much. For sure. Just ahead, the legend behind the park that bears his name. I really believe that he wanted a better life for a lot of the downtrodden. How Emory Oakland Barnes made BC a better place by connecting with people from the downtown streets to the provincial legislature. And baby pictures, new images of the newest member of the Elpod family. 
Researchers who follow our southern resident killer whales are celebrating with the confirmation of the birth of an orca calf. As Linda Ellsworth reports, while the new arrival is cause for optimism, the fate of the endangered population still relies on what we do in the coming years. Meet L125, the newest member of one of the most endangered species in the world, the southern resident killer whales. We're really excited. It's uh, the first L-pod calf uh, in almost two years. Uh, so very nice uh, for, that, uh, for that group. Joe was one of the scientists from the Centre for Whale Research, based on San Juan Island, who first spotted the calf in Harrow Strait. It looked very healthy, uh, quite rambunctious. We're thinking uh, he or she's around... A month to a month and a half old. For the three struggling pods that make up the southern resident killer whale population, J, K, and L, such births are cause for hope. We've had 74, just 74 members prior to yesterday. So this makes 75, and every birth that happens in that population is a, is a victory. And it's not just this one calf that was born. There have been four others born in the past two years. But that doesn't mean efforts to save the species can be relaxed. One reason, we don't know if any of the new calves are females, and that matters. There have been so far, on average, about two males born for every female uh, in the population. And for a small population of whales, it can't sustain itself. And with a mortality rate of about 50% in the first year of life, there's no telling how many of the calves will survive. And then there are the ever-present threats, like lack of Chinook salmon to feed on and vessel traffic. Nothing's changed with the threats. Uh, if anything, the new births are just buying us a little bit more time to figure things out. On a positive note, there has been more government action than ever before in recent years to help our southern residents. But is it enough? They shouldn't think that you know, <clears throat> shutting down fishing and making vessels slower made all the difference. Um, we still don't know why their numbers are low. So while celebrating the arrival of L125 is certainly in order, let's not forget that there's still much to be learned and done. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Cutie. A little cutie. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast. My grandpa's name was Fred, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I had to start with this. What a great uh, Canadian shot, really, from Camlis. Thank you to Cheryl for sending that with, uh, to us. Uh, that is grandpa's uh, grandson there. Grandpa Fred's backyard, I'm sure, is very popular, and it's pretty nice to have the colder con conditions to be able to build something like this, although I know some of you would like to warm up, and this was a scene there this afternoon. Absolutely serene over the Okanagan Lake area. Thank you to Wilfred for that one. More snow on the way for you overnight, and I'll show you that. Snowfall warnings, though, for the inland sections of the north coast. I expect, though, that to ease as we head into the evening hours, and still a snowfall warning for the East Fraser Valley. Chilliwack out towards Hope, 10 centimeters overnight. So there's that snowfall there, and then shifting down into southern regions. We're talking about two to maybe five centimeters, a little bit more for the Whistler area. So not a ton, but certainly some snowfall for you overnight. We saw wet snow in the Coquitlam area today, but mainly it was a rain event. We still have a slight possibility of some wet snow overnight. Some computer models are showing a little bit over higher elevations, North Shore, Northeast Metro Vancouver, but again, 
mainly it will be a rain event as we're not going to drop down below the freezing mark. But snowfall out through the Fraser Valley and certainly up towards Whistler. This is the scene as we head into tomorrow. The bulk of the moisture along the coast mountains. Some nice breaks of blue sky for those of you in the Okanagan and up through the central interior and caribou region as well. So a uh, pretty nice day for those of you uh, in the interior, but we are expecting some snowfall for the Columbia region and for the south coast, light rain on and off. I'm hoping for some breaks of blue sky, but it's probably not likely into Saturday morning as well. And then we're expecting quite a soaker later in the day on Sunday. Tonight's weather window for you, Central Windows weather window is from Skaha Lake. Lorraine sending us that. That was the sunrise mm. this morning. Beautiful. Thanks, Christy. Water like glass. All right, humankind's fascination with Mars continues with a new rover that just arrived to check it out. Here, take a look at the first image. Mission control at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab in California erupting in cheers as the Perseverance rover touched down on the red planet this afternoon, nearly seven months after it lifted off from planet Earth. Just minutes after landing, the rover beamed back the first pictures of the surface. This mission will lay the groundwork for humans to travel to the planet one day. Perseverance will uh, search for signs of ancient life and kick off an effort to bring Martian samples back to Earth. It will also explore Mars by air using a drone. First time that's ever happened. It's going to be 10 years before we get the samples back here if everything goes perfectly. Mm-hmm. So Well, they're starting off well. That, that's right. <laughs> 10 years. Can maybe Amazon deliver it quicker? <laughs> if you're a something? member of Amazon Prime, you have to pay for the membership and then you get the overnight delivery. But I see. Okay. not if you're just regular. Good tip. Uh, of all the uh, good things the Canucks did last night in that win over Calgary, the big one was getting momentum back after the Flames made it 2-1. You're going to get scored on this league. It's just how you respond to it, how you react. The Canucks reacted with two quick goals to put the uh, Flames out and give Vancouver a much-needed win. Good for them. Also later, it's Barnes on Barnes, profiling the namesake of a popular downtown park. How the legacy of Emery Barnes lives on. Well, the uh, Canucks were in no danger of, of peaking too soon, but we, <laughs> we do see them improving, which is I good. I know. Never peak too soon. Mm-hmm. Even in high school, don't peak too soon. Later in life. <laughs> the, uh, the Canucks' bad luck disappeared, and they had the better goaltender last night, which has been rare this year. In that win over Calgary, a lot of good things happened. But one of the big things that happened, and it has been happening in recent games, is that the lotto line is starting to hit the jackpot a little more than they were earlier in the year. And if those three take over games, Vancouver's chances of winning are much better. Besser from behind the goal. Pedersen in front. Miller scores! Canucks answer right back. One of the surest signs a team is regaining its confidence is how they respond during adverse moments of a game. When the Flames finally got on the board late in the second, despite the Canucks' dominating play, Vancouver ripped the momentum right back, scoring 15 seconds later and then adding another before the end of the period to take a stranglehold on the game and also send a message to the Flames and themselves that they were back in charge. You're going to get scored on this league. It's just how you respond to it, how you react. Um, Are you going to pout about it or are you going to go back out there and get your 
Look at Get your licks in when you can. The Canucks team game has been much improved the past five games. Getting that practice time in has been noticeable. They're playing together, limiting the turnovers, and most importantly, the results are starting to come. It's one thing to be told that you're playing well, and, and I think they believed they were, but a games like this will just solidify uh, maybe that belief and, and continuing to get the buy-in that we need throughout our whole group to play a certain way. And leading the way is the lotto line, which is playing its best hockey of the season, but they and everyone else have to keep it up to dig out of that hole that six-game losing streak put the team in. It definitely gives our group confidence, but again, we have to do that every single night. It's uh, We still got a lot of hockey left. Um, we got a lot of work to do, a lot of catching up to do, and, and we need to keep doing that. Well, after giving up that 5-1 lead against the Senators earlier in the week, the Leafs have put two wins on Ottawa. Last night was the low-scoring 2-1. Tonight, Austin Matthews had a four-point night. So did Mitch Marner. Matthews now has 16 goals this year, and it was an easy win for the Leafs over the usually hapless Senators, 7-3. Well, Novak Djokovic is still in the Australian Open. In fact, he's in the final. Beat Aslan Karatsev in straight sets. Now, it should be noted, he is 9-0 in semifinals at the Australian Open. He has 17 Grand Slam wins, eight of them at the Aussie. He'll take on Sissipas or Medvedev in the final. Novak Djokovic will. Genesis Golf. Majestic Arabia. From the Riviera Country Club in L.A. Number one, Dustin Johnson. Speed. This is about 30 feet away for a birdie. That's why he's the number one player in the world. Three under, four off the lead. This is Taehoon Kim. 68 yards. Doesn't even have his PGA Tour card, but he does have an ace. Seventh all of the day. And because he did that, he gets a 2021 Genesis. Yes. And there it is right there. Hopefully nobody hits that with an errant drive. Uh, the leader is um, Sam Burns at 7 under par. Adam Hadwin, even par 71. Nick Taylor, 1 over at uh, 72. There you go. All right. Got it. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Ann Drua now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Ann? Thanks, Sophia. Warning tonight from police after a sexual assault in a Surrey park. It happened in Kwantlen Park and involved a sex trade worker. We have a description of the man RCMP are looking for, plus details on what was behind an Indigenous education lecturer at UBC who was fired from her position, she says, without cause. More on the fallout of that termination tonight at 11. Sophie, Chris. All right, looking forward to that. Thanks, Ann. And when we come back from the football field to the political arena, the trailblazer who broke barriers at the B.C. legislature. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. All right, if you've ever driven up Seymour or down Richards, you've probably downtown, you've probably gone past Emory Barnes Park. And there's a story behind that name. Yes, actually, his daughter Constance, who uh, was on the parks board at the time, I think, really pushed to have her father uh, have a park named after him. And it wasn't because it was her dad. It was because she recognized that Emory did so much for Vancouver and B.C. He deserved that honor. It's appropriate that the sign for Emory Barnes Park is not pristine because as a social worker and then politician, Emory Barnes worked for people for whom life had left a lot of marks on them. A lot of politicians are like this, right? They're doing this and then they're, they're going to do whatever they're going to do anyway. Dad actually, he did, he did walk the walk. In 1986, he spent a month trying to live on a welfare wage to see what life was like for those people. You know what kind of room I got? What kind? You want, you want me to take you yeah. and him and her or whoever? Yeah. Come and see my little Yes, room. I'd like to see it. He knew the community he represented and he knew their needs, he knew their struggles. And he wanted to make sure that, that he, in my view, that he didn't forget that. Um, he knew and he understood where he came from. Born in New Orleans and raised in Oregon, Barnes suffered brutal racism, not just on the streets, but also from those in track and field and football where he excelled in spite of the mistreatment. So dad actually used that almost like a weapon to, to train harder and become stronger mentally and physically. And in turn, he became this incredible athlete. His athleticism got him a spot on the BC Lions and also a new home. He wanted a better life for his kids and he wanted us to not grow up with the racism that he had been subjected to. What was remarkable to those who knew him was how the racism he suffered didn't leave him bitter. It was amazing that he didn't have a chip on his shoulder the way he was treated, but dad was a very non-judgmental person and he didn't point fingers or blame anyone. During his time in the legislature, he was one of the few who was loved and respected by all parties. Although I think it would be unfair to say that he was just a nice guy, which he was, but he also had this really deep commitment to social justice and to making change. The respect he earned from his fellow politicians led him to be chosen Speaker of the House in 1994. There's a couple of things that always strike me about him. One, obviously, was his physical presence. Um, he's a big guy, um, but he also had a... a, a um, a softness to him uh, when he spoke. He wasn't a bombastic politician. He really tried hard to work with all sides to get stuff done. And I believe in uh, uh, collective effort and uh, cooperation. It didn't matter what walk of life or what race or anything. Everybody he treated as an equal. And that's something that I think people should realize about dad that made him so special. The keyboards are in there because he could play them.
And Great at the for legislature, us. there's a piano, and sometimes people would hear the piano being played, and it was Emory playing. Really? Wow. Multi-talented, for sure. Great feature. Thanks very much, Squire. Good story, Squire. All right. Thanks to everyone who fundraised for Variety, the children's charity, all year, and to our viewers who donated today and especially this past hour. We're able to help 203 kids with special needs. Thank you so, so much. And we got... A long way to go, too, because it doesn't really even start till Saturday. We still have two more days of Variety Show of Hearts to go. We'd like to help 75 more kids by the end of the day. So please, if you can, call 310KIDS or go to variety.bc.ca. Don't forget, there's still time to take advantage of Lowe's matching donations. So make that donation now if you can. Good night, everybody. Thanks to you, and thanks to Lowe's. Have a good night, all.